The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rock. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, libertarians, liberals, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com as well as sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you want to watch the video portion of the show, you can do that at sonsoflibertymedia.com. Just scroll down, go there and scroll down right there on the right side of the page, and you'll see it going. That's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. Uh, <laughs> you can also watch the live video feed on my Twitter account at FPPTim, and that's tied to my Periscope account, which is Setting Brush Fires. You can also catch our Facebook page at Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is Dean Sons of Liberty. Before it's news.com, we're there uh, as well on the front page. And DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. And if you're branching out into other social media platforms, Spreely, Gab, MeWe Minds, and USA.life is where you can catch us there at Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media. And um, we're not going to have the phone lines open today. Simply because we're pre-recording the show, and that's because of the time difference between uh, myself and my guest this morning. And uh, what I want to do is just kind of tee it up and then introduce him to you. You know, we've we've told you all along that there's more than the two dog bowls that the media and the two reigning parties, the, the two-party system that our forefathers warned us against. There's more than that for you to choose from. In fact, there's over 1,100 people you can choose from, America, if that's what you want to do. People that actually believe what you believe, not that you're voting the lesser of two evils. As Spurgeon said, when you're uh, confronted with those two evils, choose neither. Uh, We want people who uphold the law. Um, They're dedicated to that. They know what the law is. The law in our land and the Constitution restricts those who represent us. It doesn't restrict us. It restricts them. And so it's important to understand that. Now, I'm showing you um, the Constitution Party website. People have said, Tim, what's your solution? What are you going to do? Who are you going to vote for? Who's better? You know, that's the programmed propaganda that you've been fed to respond to when we t- point out the crimes of those who've been put in Congress, Senate, um, the presidency, when they violate the Constitution, and we simply say, hey, we need to hold them accountable instead of dealing with your political idols' violations of the law, 
you turn it on me as to who we're going to do. So I'm going to bring on a guy. This party I've been supporting since uh, it's two decades now. Um, and this is the Constitution Party, the party of integrity, liberty, and prosperity. They were founded in 1992 as a coalition of independent state parties united to form the U.S. Taxpayers Party. The party's founder was Howard Phillips. Uh, he was on the ballot in 21 states as its first presidential candidate. Now, some of you also are familiar with Chuck Baldwin. He ran um, in 2008, I believe it was, and also Michael Peruca, Michael Peruca, 2004. He had ran. And so some of you are familiar with those names from Sons of Liberty Media because they obviously have contributed to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. But I want to introduce you to the 2020 presidential candidate for the Constitutional Party. His name is Don Blankenship. He's taken time out of his busy day uh, to be with us. And if we need to hold over, I've told Don not to worry about it. He's cut on the air because it's going to get so hot in here. <laughs> and uh, Don, we want to welcome you to the Sons of Liberty, brother. Uh, I had you on mute. I'm asking you to unmute there so that we can uh, we can have a conversation here. <laughs> All right. How you doing, Don? I'm fine, thank you. All right. So Don is joining us from the West Coast. Is that right? Am I understanding that correctly? I'm in Nevada right now. Nevada. Okay. All right. Now, are you campaigning there? Well, uh, I do campaign a little bit here. This is sort of a stronghold for the Constitution Party. We have uh, probably the largest number of registered voters in Nevada under the American Independent Party. Okay. And part of the issue of the Constitution Party is from my understanding all of these years, is they actually hold their candidates. And we have candidates not only for president in South Carolina. Uh, you'll be on the ballot here, I'm pretty sure. And uh, we also occasionally have some who run for Congress and for Senate as well. And occasionally we get some people who might run for local office. But my understanding is if you don't adhere to the Constitution, they cut ties with you. They don't. They don't allow you to just you know, go off here for special interest in this, that, and the other. Is that still going on? Yeah, they're very strict. I've uh, had a couple of issues on minor things like uh, abortion and so forth, but I'm uh, very much in accord with what the Constitution Party believes as to the rule of law and so forth. So uh, it was a natural marriage between myself and the party. All right. Okay, so tell me this. Um, what brought you into the position that you're in, that you're running for president of the United States? Because some people say, okay, I've never heard of this guy. Um, what kind of qualifications? And here's, here's the issue. I understand it. So when I ask you, I'm just simply asking you from your vantage point, if somebody says, well, why should we elect Don Blankenship as president of the United States? What would you say? I would say it's because uh, I have lived what most people have suffered, whether it be a, a faulty criminal justice system, whether it be excessive regulation, whether it be a violation of your Second Amendment or your First Amendment. I've been the victim of all of that, and yet I was able to rise to the top of the corporate world. And uh, although born into a poor house and going all the way to corporate world was quite an experience. Uh, it's one that I think qualifies me better to be president of the United States than anybody else on the ballot. Okay. All right. So you have those experiences. You, you, you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you didn't uh, come from uh, money or anything like that. But, but you did, uh, you know, I believe that the pilgrims had the, the vision of American um, 
the American dream, what we call them. People think that's a house and cars and all this stuff. It was really to work for the glory of God, to do all for the glory of God. And God would make you successful. He says he will prosper your hand uh, if you're one of his, if you are one who is faithful to him. And so you're not a guy who's, you know, again, with a silver spoon in your mouth, like a lot of the people that we get put up by the two dog bowls the media gives us or the two parties give us. But you're a guy who's also faced some of the the things here. Now, if you want to elaborate, I'd love for you to do that. You've been a victim of the criminal justice system. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? You know, it, it stemmed from the government declaring a war on coal, and I was the leading best-known uh, personality, if you will, in the coal industry, running the most successful coal company. And so the war on coal became the war on the company that I was overseeing, and the government passed some laws and came in and uh, forced the, the miners at a certain mine to change their airflow and mine the, differently than they would have preferred to mine. The mine blew up. Uh, they they were they the government were responsible, but they tried to put me in prison for uh, filing improper or incorrect uh, Security and Exchange Commission uh, documents, and and for the men telling each other when government inspectors arrived at the mine, which normally men telling each other or miners telling each other that miners uh, that inspectors had arrived at the mine is a safety practice because no one should be in the mine property that the miners don't know about. But they converted that to advance notice and uh, with the SEC filings, uh, tried to put me in jail for life, but they couldn't get a conviction even though I didn't even put on a defense. So they sent me to prison for a misdemeanor and I was the only one, only misdemeanor ever there and the only one out of 2,400 uh, felony prisoners. Wow. It was quite an experience. The, yeah. It's actually, I could go on and on about that, but the, the Department of Justice has a department within it called the Office of Professional Responsibility, and they wrote a 90-some page report about prosecution misconduct and saying that uh, basically that the case was uh, should have been voided. A magistrate federal judge ordered or recommended to the trial judge that the conviction be voided, even though it was a misdemeanor. And yet, not only did she refuse the recommendation as an Obama appointee, she refused to let me appeal the misdemeanor conviction. But it's the most hard-fought misdemeanor conviction in the United States uh, history, and it's still ongoing because we've appealed for the right to to appeal, which is really strange. Yeah, well, I know that in order to get justice in this country, you got to spend tons of money. I mean, you just have to do it. Um, we had uh, Pete Santilli, the longest-held journalist in U.S. history, uh, over the issue of the Bundy Ranch and over the stand in Oregon, um, you know, over the, the, the federal government's uh, unlawful and unconstitutional land grabs. They're doing it all over the place. Donald Trump is doing it um, with this latest, uh, not the latest, but the one before the latest executive order. Uh, some of these kinds of issues that render back to Teddy Roosevelt of, of land grabs. But here we have an issue to where you're dealing with, you're having to to defend yourself against something that isn't even criminal. And, you know, our Constitution protects people with um, the fact that the Congress is the only one that can legislate, and they can't legislate ex post facto, and yet, it sounds to me like that's what you were in, that's what you were having here. Correct me if I'm wrong, I, but it sounds like that's what you're talking about. And they're putting you through all this is probably costing you lots of money. And you're saying, well, I'm not having any of that because the law says something different here. A am I missing something? 
Yeah, I mean, you're right on target. You're not missing anything. They actually tried me for a misdemeanor that doesn't exist, and uh, it was, they made a post-de-facto law out of it. Uh, but the par- other part of that story is that the national media, when I was about to win a U.S. Senate seat, and I would have been the only person ever to win a U.S. Senate seat while confined by the United States government, uh, they called me a felon 100 times in the seven days before the election, even though I'd never been convicted of a felony, including, uh, you know, many people's favorite program, Fox News, and Judge Napolitano himself. So I have sued all of them, uh, and uh, the case is still moving through court, although uh, most lawyers told me that I had no chance of uh, success. We have cleared several major hurdles, and the case is continuing to move forward. There's a lot of detail behind that that might interest your audience as well. Yeah, I'd like to get into that because you know what? I I like Judge Napolitano on a certain level. And then he gets to certain things and I go, why did you just scrap all your foundation of what you just said? Um, So I'm not surprised by that. I'm definitely not surprised by Fox News. Fox News, as far as we've been concerned on this show, is controlled opposition. They have been for years. They've been supporting the very agendas that are attacking our foundations with – the uh, the sodomite agenda with uh, their corporate own everybody thinks they're conservative but they're not and uh, even people like Sean Hannity look I like Sean Hannity as a person but you look at some of the things boy you don't say anything against Trump these days or you're in trouble with Sean Hannity and Sean Hannity's been guilty of supporting people who take advantage in their authoritarian position like I don't know Lee County Sheriff Carmine Mercino takes advantage of his position to take a crime victim and pursue her for sex. And yet, Sean Hannity, once he finds out that this woman may be pregnant, he cuts bait with with Carmine Marcino very silently. So I'm familiar with a lot of this stuff as to how it goes on. And these people called you a felon, even though even what you were accused of was a misdemeanor. Do I have that right? No, I was charged with three felonies, but I beat them all without putting on a defense. The okay. jury found me not guilty, and they, they found me guilty of these uh, minors telling each other the inspectors had arrived and made that into a misdemeanor and sent me to prison for a misdemeanor. But there's tremendous detail behind all that. I wish we had lots of time for it, but it's an amazing story. Why don't you take a few minutes and kind of give the audience that? Because this is what the show is about, is to give you a voice to say, hey, here's the real story, and here's why, you know, this is one of the areas in which I'm qualified because I'm fighting against the very thing. Look, people are listening, Don, and they're going, why should I vote for Don? Why should I get behind Don? Well, guys, Don is one of you. He's not one of them. He's not one of the corporate puppets. He's not one of the bankster puppets. Don... Take a few minutes and go into that and explain people explain to people what went on in that case to why you were found guilty of these other things. Yeah, let me say, first of all, the reason that uh, I'm so passionate about it is I didn't read about it. I was a victim of it. And I'm, when I say that, I'm talking about judicial injustice. I'm talking about excessive regulations. I'm talking about uh, being defamed on national television. Uh, I'm a totally different person. In fact, the book I wrote, which is titled Obama's Deadliest Cover-Up, it it basically says that this guy Blankenship that uh, people out there know about if they followed the media uh, does not exist. But the story is that after the 
the uh, mine was blown up and I was sent to prison for a misdemeanor, I began a campaign for the West Virginia Open U.S. Senate seat from a halfway house. And had I won, I would have been the only person to ever win a Senate seat while incarcerated by the federal government. And uh, there's only been one person to win a congressional seat from prison, and that was a guy named Matthew Lyon in about 1802 or something. So uh, anyway, I was on the verge of winning it. The establishment began to say negative things about me. So I uh, said some things about Mitch McConnell. And uh, following that, the uh, as, as you call it, some of the one of the two major uh, political arms, which is the Republican Party, some of the Republican senators got together in McConnell's office and asked the National Republican Senatorial Committee to come up with a menu of options to stop me from winning the election. Apparently on that list of items was calling me a felon. And Napolitano sort of led the charge by saying that I had been sent to prison for manslaughter. Uh, and so from that, every major network called me a felon, a convicted felon, a racist, and everything else they could think of. What surprised them, though, was after all of that, calling me a felon all these times and so forth, Fox thought it was such an interesting story that they had a nationwide debate on television between me and my two lifetime politician opponents. I went into the debate, depending on which poll you look at, at even to eight points down, and came out of the uh, debate, depending on which poll you look at, at 8 to 18 points up. There you go. It's the biggest one-hour change probably ever in a political race. There you go. You know what? This is the problem in the political system. And our forefathers warned us about a two-party system, George Washington in particular. And there are two sides of the same – there are two wings of the same bird. There are two boots of the same tyrant. And when somebody comes in different – you could even see it in the Republican race when Ron Paul ran in 2012. You're talking about somebody that just spanked everybody who was an opponent of his in the Republican Party. This guy appealed to the Constitution. He appealed to facts. He appealed to the, the truth. And I'm not surprised. When I watched um, Michael Peruca in 2004, he was against uh, – they had a, a, a debate between the Communist Party, the Libertarian Party guy – and the Green Party guy, and Michael Peruca was the only candidate I've ever heard in my life who, they had 10 questions for each candidate. He was the only guy who said, well, I wouldn't do anything because the Constitution didn't authorize me to do that. I had never heard somebody say that, and I was like, yes, that's exactly right. You shouldn't be in that. So you're kind of giving the same thing when people actually hear what somebody outside the establishment, the Beltway, Republican, Democrat, all this nonsense that that the media feeds us. When they start speaking as the common man, and I think this is why people voted for Donald Trump, even though he's shown himself to be a bankster puppet. I I think he is. I think that's that's my personal opinion. But the fact of the matter is, I think that's why he got the language that the people were, were buying into. You, you sound like you did the same thing, except you actually had history of dealing with it, whereas Donald Trump hasn't had that. Yes, I, you know, I was a big supporter and believer in Trump's uh, platform, so to speak, but he's not done well at executing the platform and his, his habits are terrible. So, you know, I had actually done a documentary in 2014 that's very much like uh, Trump's platform. But the problem is, you're exactly right. The two parties are like WWE wrestlers, and they entertain us, take our money, and then they just go off and they're good friends, and they go to dinner and go to parties together and laugh at us. So uh, it's time that we fix that. 
Yeah, that is hilarious that you say that because do you know how many – look, I'm not going to say I coined the thing, but that's what I've been saying for years, that what we see in D.C. is nothing more than WWE. It's Royal Rumble, SmackDown, whatever the thing is now. I don't know what it, I don't even know what it is. And the fact that they brought Donald Trump in who was on WWE with Vince McMahon uh, – not McMahon. What's his – yeah, Vince McMahon – and then he took his wife and put her in a position. I mean, you can't write this stuff, Don. You really can't write this stuff. So, okay, let's get to the meat and potatoes of things that people want to hear. Constitution Party. We talked about this just at the first. You said they're very strict. Tell us how strict they are about any candidate, not just the president, but they have other candidates in, in various places, whether the local or state or at the federal level, what kind of strictness did they put on you? Well, I mean, they believe, as you know, the Bible very much in Jesus Christ and very much in your church associations. They believe strongly in zero abortions. They they believe strongly in uh, the marriage between being between a man and a woman. The things I ran into is I've been a lifetime supporter of the Right to Life movement. And the Right to Life movement has been very effective at decreasing the number of abortions. So I still stand in their platform, which is that an abortion is only allowable in the event of a, a, a mother's life being at risk. And so uh, I stand with that stance because I believe we can save a lot of children uh, with support of Right to Life. But the Constitution Party believes in abortions uh, being totally banned and not being uh, you know, no, no abortions at all for any reason. So those types of issues are sometimes uh, difficult, but I think I'm as close to uh, uh, the beliefs of the Constitution Party, particularly uh, the Constitution itself. And I attended, uh, you know, going back to my poorhouse upbringing, I attended a missionary church in a small Appalachian town of about 400 people. And, you know, uh, it was back in the days when the Bible was taught in school and so forth. And you know, while I'm not as regular attack churchgoer as maybe uh, some are, I, I know the Bible pretty well, and I live by the uh, you know the beliefs that are in the Bible and so forth. So I'm I'm close to being what the Constitution Party looks for. But most importantly, I think as I understand the issues, I've dealt with the issues, and I have the the uh, voice and the platform to promote the issues. Okay. All right. Now, let me ask you this, uh, because you mentioned that that issue um, with regard to saving the mother's life. And I've heard people make all kinds of arguments about that. We had uh, Lee Newton Rhodes on. Now, he's running for Democrat presidential candidate, but I mean, he's like one of those blue dog Democrats. Good friend um, on Facebook. He has said, I don't want anything to do with the electoral laws and stuff. I don't, don't send me money. Tell your friends. That was his that was his approach. Very so, pro-Second Amendment said, I see no reason why we should be um, dealing with uh, you know, murdering any babies. And even on the issue of the woman's life, it was like, why can't we try to save both lives? Why do we have to say we are going to terminate one life over the other? Um, so when I ask you that, when I'm going to pose this question to you, when you say in the event of the mother's life, now I realize there are things like um, you know, where the, the, the baby where there is, um, boy, I'm having a moment here, <laughs> where there is insemination and then there is a baby, but it's caught in the fallopian tubes, okay? And right. most times, I would say probably, according to the stuff that I've read, and it's been a while since I've read it, 
90-something percent of the time, that takes care of itself. The child doesn't survive. It's in God's providence. I get that. Um, But in the other part, with the technology we have today, my question is, why aren't we trying to save even those children when we know it happens? Most of the time it happens before the mother even knows it. It's already happened. Um, there is a termination of the pregnancy, not due to her or anybody else, any man. It's under God's providence. I get that. But when, but part of the problem is it opens up this Pandora's box to where women can claim whatever they want, and then we have certain situations where they can um, intervene. Now, let me ask you this. You can respond to that, and then I want to ask you, what do you deal with uh, certain things of saying, well, wait a minute, the states deal with you know, criminality all the time. They're the ones who punish criminals, whether they're murderers or uh, thieves or kidnappers or rapers or whatever the case may be. And they don't really render justice. They stick people in prison, which is an unbiblical justice. Um, what would you say to an issue over something like this? I mean, uh, should the states be the ones that, that, are demon- that are doing this, where I think probably the majority of people would get behind that more than the federal government? Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, I totally agree that uh, murder nor abortion is a federal issue. It's uh, not a, a right that the states gave to the federal government in the beginning, so it's it's not. But so, if you're asking me what role the government should, federal government should play, they really shouldn't play a role. But if you're asking me my personal beliefs, I, I would say it's, you're not going to get the buy-in from the general public that will cause hundreds of thousands of reductions in abortion. In other words, you can cut abortion, but you lose a lot of support when you say that the mother uh, is going to die, that she still has to give birth to the baby. So I just don't see, as you say, it's very unusual. In fact, it's getting to be where it's almost non-existent. But uh, telling women that they would have to give up their life uh, for the life of an unborn, particularly the life of an unborn that has uh, obvious issues or health issues, uh, will decrease uh, the effectiveness of the right to life movement and increase the number of abortions. Okay, I mean, I get that. I do. I do get that, and um, I think it's a very important issue. Uh, I don't know how we can point our fingers at Nazi Germany and talk about millions of of people who were killed. I know they exaggerate. Look, I think they exaggerate the number of Jews. There was Christians. There was Poles. There was all kinds of people that they attacked. And uh, the fact of the matter is is that we have our own American Holocaust here, and we're unwilling to deal with it. I mean, for instance, let me let me put it this way. President Trump has said he is the most pro-life president in U.S. history. I just f- kind of laugh at that, uh, especially when Planned Parenthood put out their report uh, this year for fiscal year 2018 to 2019, where they said they got more money from the federal government under Donald Trump than any other president in U.S. history, and they murdered more babies under President Trump than any other president in U.S. history. That's their own report, and they only do 40% of the abortions. I think this is a – some people will say this is a social issue, Don. I want to ask you something. It's kind of like the same thing with a sodomite marriage, Uh, and we know that there's no legislation that says that's okay. We have legislation on the book in basically all 50 states – this says that sodomy is a crime against nature. Uh, William Blackstone spoke about this. It's the crime. It's an unmentionable crime. Paul says in the book of Romans, he says, this is stuff we don't even want to talk about. And yet, this president has said, uh, Supreme Court 
it's the law of the land. Well, it's not because our Constitution says that comes from Congress. Congress is to make law, and it is very limited in what law it can make. Um, The same thing with sodomite marriage as it is with abortion, and I think you kind of hit it, but if you would clarify that, this isn't something for the the federal courts to decide. It isn't something for the Congress to decide, is it? No, it's a moral issue, and uh, it's a... As you say, a biblical issue. I don't think that the federal government should be involved in that. They shouldn't be involved in what they call hate crimes and so forth and so on. So there's many areas that the government has overreached. And uh, I think what President Trump uh, tries to say is that, you know, most abortions, at least uh, you said a woman can say anything she wants, but most abortions are for economic reasons. Uh, mothers that don't believe that they can have the child and properly uh, support it and get it educated and so forth. Uh, and so uh, he thinks that by raising the uh, income levels of so forth for the, uh, the minority communities and having created a lot of jobs and having the lowest unemployment rate that the minority communities had before the virus that he has probably saved more babies, but that's a whole different thing. And it's uh, theoretical. Uh, what's, uh, for those in your audience that uh, look at the Republican Party as a, a pro-life party, you should be aware that when I was running for uh, the uh, U.S. Senate seat from West Virginia, what I alluded to earlier, one of my uh, uh, opponents uh, was a advocate for Planned Parenthood. His family lobbies for Planned Parenthood, and he also lobbied uh, for opiate drug companies, which were two big issues in West Virginia. And I I was uh, on the verge of beating him because of those positions in West Virginia. But Trump came out on the day before the election and said not to vote for me, to vote for one of the other guys. Uh, so he's, he's not very focused on uh, doing the right thing when it comes to abortion or when it comes to opiate drug use, which is a big problem in the country. No, I couldn't agree more because he did the same thing with Judge Roy Moore down in Alabama. I mean, I, you know, if anybody is if anybody's metal has been tested and proven, it's Judge Roy Moore's. He's went through it. He's faced all this kind of stuff, and yet Trump hung him out, you know, for the sake of some guy who everybody says is the kind of guy that they don't want, but they'll end up going and voting for. So, Don, this is why we bring you on. When we deal with the issue of the Constitution Party and the strict nature that they have for you to fall within the lines of the Constitution, let me ask you this. As president, one of the things you know I remember years ago hearing from Michael Peruca when he was running for president was... The Constitution would give me authority for that. But he also went along to say there's no constitutional authority for this, this, and this. And Ron Paul has done the same thing, running for the for the uh, the Republican Party in 2012. What are, what are some of the stances that you have with regards to things like, I don't know, the Department of Energy, the Department of Education, uh, Homeland Security, uh, the FDA, and, you know, some of these alphabet agencies – that really aren't spelled out, and they're doing things that they have no health and human services that have. I don't see any of that authorized in the Constitution to be designated from the federal government. What would be what would be some of your advances as a president if you were elected to do? Should that come that opportunity come open to you? How would you deal with those uh, as a president? Well, first of all, uh, I'm not a big fan of Jimmy Carter, but he said it well. He said uh, 
that we need to take a blank sheet of paper and start from, from scratch rather than looking at how much we spent last year and seeing how much we should spend this year. And so I would start off, uh, I'm sure I would get rid of the Department of Energy and the Department of Education. The Department of Energy in 19, I don't know, I won't hold me to the exact year, but 1975, 77, they had zero employees. Today, they've got a hundred and some thousand employees and contractors. I was one of the largest, overseeing one of the largest energy producing companies in the United States for 20 years, and I never met anybody from the Department of Energy. So I don't know exactly what they do. They were formed, though, uh, in the aftermath of the Iran hostage crisis, uh, which brought so much attention to the oil embargoes and so forth, and the oil prices were outrageous. But we've now solved that problem, and that's one of the problems with the federal government. Uh, I don't think the Department of Energy gets any credit for solving it. I think that you know, some of the gas companies probably get more credit, maybe Chesapeake Energy and some of them. But the bottom line is that we no longer have a dependence on the Middle Eastern countries that we once had. And that means two things. It means, number one, we don't need to be over there with our soldiers every time there's a scuffle and turn it into a war and try to police the region. And it also means we don't need a Department of Energy. So I could go on and on about each department, but some of them need to be about 10 percent of what they are and some of them don't need to exist at all. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, and I'm glad you, you mentioned foreign policy there as well. Let me let me kind of tap onto that. Foreign policy in a Blankenship administration, what would that look like? I mean, would it – you know, I look, there is one thing I'll hand to Donald Trump is he has – from at least what I see, he hasn't acted in certain ways as other presidents would have. His handling of North Korea, I mean, pretty much stifled that at least for a little bit. I, you know, I heard reports later on where they were developing nuclear technology, which is kind of, it's kind of hypocritical for us when we have thousands of nukes all over the place to say, hey, you can't have nukes over there. When we, what we've seen even from India and Pakistan is they kind of stabilized each other because they both have the, the power to destroy each other. And yet once they got that power, they said, whoa, this is pretty big. We might want to be a little more careful with this. And instead of, you know, the your mama jokes to each other, uh, they began to treat one another a little bit more fairly. And, of course, we've heard this with Iran, uh, them trying to develop it. And I, I know they've said death to America. This, that. What would, a, what would a, a foreign policy under a Blankenship administration, what would that kind of look like? Well, I think that uh, it would look a lot different for, than it does now. I think we have troops when, in 140 countries, and mostly it's foreign aid because we put troops places and they create economy in certain places, and and uh, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, we don't need to be in, in any country unless we've been asked to be there, and it's a close ally that needs defense. Uh, so there would be a lot of money saved there. As far as the nuclear and the nuclear proliferation, I do think that uh, it's probably the only reason for the United Nations to actually exist is to try to make sure that that we have pragmatism and that we have uh, a lot of focus on it because it's the one thing that can end the uh, end the world in, in short order. So I, I don't think that we can ignore it. I do think that the United States has used it to police uh, areas of the world that they don't have any business in. So it, it's a complicated issue. It would The way it would look with me is trying to get uh, the major nuclear powers to sit down and, and figure out how they could disarm. But uh, I don't have any misconceptions about it either. It would be very difficult to get some of these countries to disarm. But, uh, you know, you cannot uh, go around the world trying to tell people what to do. 
No, I couldn't agree more. And I don't think our Constitution authorizes such a thing either. Um, in fact, when you're saying that, you know, we've talked about the various almost 200 military bases around the world. It's, it's like America's trying to be an empire that if we think that we have enough people there in these countries that we can somehow guarantee world peace, which is just sort of an oxymoron that you're going to use force to, to guarantee peace. That just that doesn't make any sense. We've got a story out today. Uh, this is August 13th, by the way. We're pre-recording this show. Um, new report reveals that U.S. Special Forces are active in 22 African countries. What the heck are we doing in Africa? For goodness sake. I, I, uh, where, do, where is this authorized in the Constitution? I mean, we have letters of mark and reprisal, and we have Congress the ability to declare war. Where is the, the authority for the president just to move the military willy-nilly, wherever he will. I mean, where is this kind of thing coming from? It just comes from the fact that nobody checks it. That's the same way that uh, the defamation that goes on in the media all the time, the uh, election corruption that goes on. The corruption in the United States has basically been legalized, and they legalize it themselves. And uh, so there, there is no authority. It's just that nobody challenges it. Okay. All right. Now, let me ask you a question here. Um because I think this is pretty important as a president. Should you be elected president, who would you be looking to for advisors and maybe cabinet members? I think this is probably a pretty important – I don't even know if you've thought this far out. Who would you be looking for some – would you be looking for, I don't know, uh, CEOs of other companies or something? Or would you be looking for people who know the Bible and know the Constitution, that kind of thing? Would you be looking for wise people – uh, who don't engage in the corporate fascism. I, that's what I see it as. That's what I think the Republican Party is pushing. I think the Democrat Party pushes communism. I think the Republican Party pushes fascism. So would you be looking at those kind of people, people who've been in the bi- the business, so to speak, or would you be looking for people who have your brand, your worldview uh, for advisors and for cabinet members? Well, I think the, each cabinet member position would have to be looked at a little bit different. But what you need is uh, smart, uh, and I think many times uh, fairly well-educated, regular American people. When you that w- when you started asking that question, you know, it's one of the things I criticized Trump for. He tried to drain the swamp with swampers. You know, you can't put the wife of the biggest swamper uh, in D.C. on the on the cabinet and expect that you're going to drain the transportation department. Amen. And so that is what I would not do. So I can start off with what I would not do is put people that are lifetime, uh, you know, District of Columbia uh, swampers. And I think you would go around the country and you would look at expertise. I mean, if you're going to deal with transportation, most likely you're going to have somebody that's heading a transportation or a infrastructure development project somewhere in the country. I mean, it's really sad for guy like myself who traveled around the world a lot to see all these bullet trains in China, huge new dams and bridges. And we come here and you go across the bridge and it about beats your tires off and you're having blowouts because you've got these low, you know, low wing tires and the, the road just won't accommodate them. So China is running well past us on technology and, uh, and on infrastructure and on, and on how to deal with the world. We're, we're just falling further and further behind. And uh, I don't, I don't know how you can put people in these positions on the cabinet to go to your question that has no practice, have no practical experience, have no understanding of how to create infrastructure or no understanding of what energy is. It just makes no sense at all. I mean, 
you you would want somebody in the Department of Energy to the extent that you need a department at all that, that had been in an energy field. So. No, I agree, and I'm I'm glad to hear you say that that probably isn't something that even even needed in the Constitution. I don't see that it provides for that. I really don't see it. Uh, we talked about this on Wednesdays when we talk about education and the usurpation of government in the, in the area of education. We've never given the federal government any authority on the issue of education. Never. Ninth and Tenth Amendment supply there. We didn't outline it in Article One, uh, so therefore the president can't do anything at it in Article Two. Uh, his job is to make sure the laws are faithfully executed. Now, with that said, let me ask you this. In a Blankenship administration, you've got what you've got going on in Portland or Seattle or whatever with Antifa and BLM. Now, I, you correct me if, if you think it different. I think Trump did right in saying, you guys clean up the mess. If you don't clean up the mess, we're going to come in and clean it up. But I disagree with him using Homeland Security. I disagree with him even using National Guard. I know they're a part of the statute, but I think the citizen militia is something that has to be restored. One, do you do you agree the citizen militia, the people need to take their rightful duty of enforcing the law, as the Constitution says, repelling invasions, putting down insurrections, do you agree with that? And then second of all, how would Don Blankenship, I mean, you're going to be playing, obviously, armchair quarterback in this. How would Don Blankenship have handled this issue that we see springing up with these riots and, and looters? Well, first of all, it's a, it's a tough battle in your mind because as a constitutionalist, uh, you have to violate the Constitution to, to end it quickly. And that's, uh, that's one of the problems that you have. Uh, I believe that there should be a citizen militia, but I view the National Guard as close to being that. So I w- if I was going to do it, I'd want a, some sort of an organized uh, conversion because you can't just give a bunch of guys guns and, and that aren't trained and go out there and say stop protesters or even rioters because you're going to get a lot of people killed. Uh, so we need to come up with some way that uh, that we can comply with the Constitution and end such nonsense as these rights and uh, the burning of homes. Trump uh, took you know uh, a right that he has, which is if you're going to destroy federal property, you can send in troops. Uh, but I, I think it's something that needs a lot more thought and a lot more dialogue, a lot more discussion than I've been able to give it and hearing from a lot of uh, people as to how you would stop it. But at the end of the day, I think stopping the rioting and stopping that type of behavior is uh, critically important, and you have to do it. And uh, Trump defaulted to the right that he thought he had. I don't really find as much issue with that as uh, as some people do. Yeah, I'm, mine is not that, that there is a, a space of giving the, the governors a, a place to do what they do. I mean, I think the federal government being out of things is is the best thing I do. Uh, but then you have some of these governors, uh, like a Minnesota Governor Tim Walls, who says, hey, you feds, you need to give us money because of my inaction and my unwillingness to go and arrest people who weren't peaceful protesting. Protesting is protected under the First Amendment. And look, if you people, you believe in Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, Yellow Lives Matter, Red whatever the case may be, and you want to protest that and you want to voice that, more power to you. I'm happy to see people get out and do that even if I disagree with it. But once you cross the line of going to destroying property, stealing other people's stuff, uh, attacking even police officers or your fellow man in any way, uh, you've just stepped across the line into violation of law and you have to be dealt with. I think one of the things that concerned me was the sort of Russian Gestapo tactics I saw in some of the uh, videos where 
unnamed people are just popping out of vans, cars, unmarked things, and just snatching people off the ro- off the road. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Uh, this is not law and order. This is something else. This is not uh, what's going on there. So I'm, I'm glad that you distinguish between those. And I understand you have to kind of work with what you're working at. But would it, would it be under a Blankenship um, administration that we might see, and in, instead of a demonization of the citizen militia, it might say, hey, guys, the Constitution says this about the militia. It's not alphabet agencies that enforce the law. It's the militia. It's the people. This is it's reminiscent of the book of Judges, where the law is there and the people execute the law. And so would it be under a Blankenship administration? Could we see you team up with somebody like, I don't know, Dr. Edwin Vieira, uh, who's really an expert on a lot of things constitutional, but especially with the militia and stuff, to say, we need to push for the people to do their duty before God and man, and that is to execute the law. And the, and the way that's set up in the Constitution, I think it's in the Bible, I've covered this before, is for them to be the militia that does that. And they do, they do that in their local area. They handle these things at their local area. Would we see that maybe in a blanket ship administration? Well, it's a very tangled issue. I'd be afraid to say that you would see exactly that because it's tangled enough you know, the federal government goes out and authorizes or gets involved in creating a militia, then the question is, is it any longer a militia of the citizens? So it's a, it's a very difficult issue. I think the, the right is already there for uh, citizens to form a militia, and if somebody would take the lead on it, if I were president, I would probably feel like it was not my proper role to be involved in uh, creating the militia. But I do think that we have to have law enforcement, and that's the problem we've got in this country uh, across the board is that illegal immigration means illegal immigration. It doesn't mean legal immigration or an undocumented uh, you know, worker. So uh, that that is the root of the problem. We've got to get back to the rule of law. We've got to get back to where uh, each of the three branches of government are performing their function and not trying to form, form the other branches' function. So all that will solve many of these problems. The, uh, you know, you talked about the Department of Education. One of the problems we've got is that, that our kids are being taught that all of the founders are bad people and that the country's uh, concept of capitalism is bad and so forth. So we've created within our midst, if you will, a lot of anti-American citizens. Uh, and that's a you know a horrible situation that should never have come about. So we're dealing with a lot of problems that could have been beaten before they started, but we'll have trouble uh, turning it around within the confines of the Constitution. And that's what I would attempt to do. Yeah. No, I wasn't saying to establish a federal militia or anything like that. What I was saying was, would you be one that would speak out and say, look, our Constitution says there's a militia. It's for this purpose. It's for uh, enforcing the laws of the Union. It's for in- repelling invasions and suppressing insurrections. Uh, not that you would set it up, because as far as I'm concerned, under the statutes, the National Guard is a federal militia. It's not a constitutional militia. It's a federal militia. And I'm just wondering if you would get behind that to um, – you know, encourage people who want to do that in their states or their counties, maybe they go into their sheriff to get it started or whatever the case may be, would you be one that would encourage that? Because then when you have these kinds of things, then the Constitution allows you as a president to call up that militia to enforce the laws in that area. That's sort of what I'm getting, not establish a federal militia. 
I would say that I would not discourage it. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I would want to uh, try to encourage it from the standpoint. I don't know that one person or a president could keep abreast of the type of people and the type of functions that they were trying to, to underperform. It's a very difficult question. Uh, I think that, you know, it requires a lot more thought and a lot more input from a lot more people than I've had to resolve exactly how you deal with the nonsense that occurred in Seattle and Minneapolis and that happens in Chicago nearly every weekend. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I, I do get that it's different and I'm not saying you would endorse everything. What I'm saying is you would endorse the militia concept from the constitution as to what it is and how it should be applied. And you would let the States uh, obviously regulate that, which they're, in charge to do uh, for the security of a free state, as the Second Amendment says. Um, let me ask you a couple other things uh, because, boy, we're running short on time. Now, if you want to stay over a little bit, we can do that. But uh, yeah. in running short on time, First Amendment. Now, we, we've got a lot of big tech companies who are censoring. Um, they hide under the protections of a platform while the law allows that. They They then cannot become these what we call publishers. They can't be those who can move out from under the protections of a platform and then go become a publisher and say, oh, we don't like what you're saying over here. We don't like, we're going to ban your stuff over here. We're going to eliminate your stuff over here because we're going to push this narrative because the, YouTube is one uh, that's very clear that says if you disagree with what the World Health Organization is, and YouTube is a a child company of Google that was started and funded by the CIA, a CIA front group called InQtel. Millions of dollars unconstitutionally sent from the CIA to Google to start their company, and YouTube's a part of that. And now they're engaging in this. And the First Amendment talks about Congress not making law. Well, how do companies that, that gain money unconstitutionally and are protected under platforms then slide out from under that Invite. I think it's antitrust antitrust violations, if you if you will. What would Don Blankenship say about that when they're trying to silence dissenting voices? Yeah, I think the bottom line is that uh, you know what Facebook's trying to do. They should they should they probably like to be drug into the debate about whether they are should or shouldn't be censoring. But they, what they should be saying about that is that we're like a shortwave radio. We, you know, we put up a, the capability of you to connect with a lot of people. <clears throat> and what you say is what you say. We can't monitor it because it's a trap that we can't uh, get out of because we, we, you know, we choose whether one person can say something, another person can't. Uh, all that Facebook and Twitter and YouTube should be is a vehicle for people to communicate with one another, not unlike a radio, not unlike a television, they shouldn't have anything to do with what uh, is said on these programs other than perhaps profanity or, uh, you know, threats of some sort. I agree. That's, uh, I hit the wrong button there. I agree. That's sort of my point. And even at that, I mean, at the rate that people are uploading videos making posts on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. There's no way somebody can police that. I mean, they're getting like, I don't know, it's a bazillion things that are posted every minute. There's just no way they can do that. And I think that's why you offer protection for the platform. But then they're sliding out from under that and they're silencing anybody that they deem as dissenters of the narrative or whatever and they, they can just completely cut them off. I think it's criminal. I really think it's criminal. 
And that's why the Sons of Liberty are bringing a lawsuit first and foremost against Facebook, and then we're going to be bringing one against YouTube. If they, YouTube seems to at least be those who will work with our attorney and will talk with him. Now, I think they're schmoozing him, but uh, Facebook has pretty much put up a brick wall in front of us now. So we have to take it to the next level, and that's a lawsuit. That's the next thing that people will be seeing from SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and our attorney uh, filing that uh, lawsuit against them. So I just kind of wanted to get your your take on that. Um, what so other... let, me, uh, let me give you some, uh, some experiences I've had with this issue. Uh, first of all, most people in America don't know that uh, if you're a typical American and you're working somewhere, you have more uh, First Amendment rights than I do. Once you become a uh, what the government calls a public figure, uh, you have less uh, free speech rights than if you are not a public figure. And it stemmed from a 1964 case called New York Times versus Sullivan. So when the media began to call me a felon, as we talked about earlier, uh, I was told by many attorneys there wasn't much I could do about it because a public figure cannot win a defamation suit against the national media. Uh, of course, I took on that challenge as not being true, and so far I've uh, had some success at it, but the these companies that control the national media are worth over $600 billion. And they will drag you, as uh, as you said earlier, through every court uh, session that they can and, and uh, delay the thing so that when it's finally decided, it's a historical decision rather than a current decision. But there are companies out there like PR Newswire, for example, uh, that won't distribute any of my press releases. Uh, the media, since I sued them, even though they've lost uh, two or three legs of this lawsuit, have not mentioned my name one time in the past, uh, I guess, 18 months. So what they what they are doing is they are uh, basically damaging my rights to free speech, not only by having defamed me, but now they won't even report that they've lost uh, their effort to dismiss the case. They've uh, We have evidence that they knew I was not a felon even before they said it. Uh, we have evidence that they colluded to spread the message. Uh, they don't report any of that. So it's a, it's, it's an amazing situation. There are so many ways that uh, they can frustrate the First Amendment that it would take uh, several of these programs to explain all of them. Okay. All right, Don, we're running low on time. Do you want to stay over just a little bit? It's whatever you want to do. All right, we'll do that. We'll stay over a little bit. We're coming down to the end of the radio show, so people, you can join us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Periscope or YouTube or DLive.tv. Catch us there. Don, we got about 20 seconds. Tell people where they can find out about you and the Constitution Party. Well, they can go to Blankenship 2020 uh, website. They can go to DonBlankenship.com, which will basically take them to the same website. They can, uh, you know, uh, read all about me on those on those websites. They can also go to the Constitution Party website and learn about, a lot about the party. Okay. All right. We appreciate you, Don. We're going to catch you on the other side. Those of you who want to join us from Red State Talk Radio, please do so. Jump over to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all those places that I mentioned before, and we'll catch you on the other side. uh, No, not 23 hours. 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Kate Shimarani will be with us. Health and Wellness Program on Sons of Liberty. See ya. Okay, Don. All right, we're back here, and uh, one of the okay, we're getting into some of these other things, and some of this I kind of wanted to walk down some of the road of the Bill of Rights to kind of get your perspective as to what your your uh, what you believe, what you say. We've got the 
we've got President Trump reauthorizing the Patriot Act. In my opinion, one of the most tyrannical pieces of legislation ever foisted upon the American people. Now, he's reauthorized that. We have the U.S. Freedom Act, and I've got people coming in the house here. Sorry about all the noise here. Um, we, we've got the U.S. Freedom Act. All of this sur- surveillance, which I think is a complete violation of the Fourth Amendment, um, it's surveilling everybody. We've got the NSA setting up you know, a facility out in Utah, I think it is, um, uh, if I recall correctly, recording pretty much every phone call that goes across the, the radio waves in America. And um, I, I'm kind of curious, <clears throat> when we look at this kind of stuff, what's your perspective on stuff like the Patriot Act or the USA Freedom Act or the, the indefinite detention um, you know, clause there for the NDA? What, what's, what's your perspective on those kinds of things? Well, I think it's probably the same as yours that, uh, you know, it, it's the government taking advantage of a crisis to, to uh, violate our rights. Uh, you know, whether it was 9-11 or whether it's today, the virus, uh, they they use it to violate the Constitution and to take away our rights <clears throat> while we are feeling like we need that protection. You know, whether it's uh, wear a mask or whether it's uh, uh, that we, uh, you know, let them listen in our conversations that's how it gets started, and we move further and further to the left and further and further to China-type behaviors. No, I completely agree. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, that I see as well. And I realize that Donald Trump – some people say I hate Trump. I don't. I criticize him over what I perceive as violations of the Constitution, and that's a completely different issue. But when you have this kind of stuff going on, when you have a rep- – I hate to even use the Republican Democrat stuff. I just hate to use it. But when you have a Republican Democrat or Republican guy go in and do something justifying it based on stuff that you know is tyrannical, that's unconstitutional, then he's just he's just really justifying it for the next guy who comes into office, isn't he? Yeah, it's just that type of behavior is everywhere. I guess uh, you know from the. The liberals got mad when McConnell held up the uh, nomination uh, that Obama made for the Supreme Court to get uh, to the, you know, the Trump presidency. Uh, it's, it's odd because these guys will all say that the courts are fair. You, you know, Trump shouldn't say this guy's a Hispanic or people shouldn't say he's a liberal or conservative when they're talking about a judge. But yet it's the most important thing that people focus on is which president gets to appoint a Supreme Court judge. And uh, it, it just illustrates how how corrupt the system is that, uh, you know, whether it's uh, the Patriot Act that you're talking about, whether it's uh, the way the court system behaves, it's, it's a, it's a total mess and it's going to be that way until we instill honesty. The the founders knew, and I'm talking mostly here about the court, of course, but the, the founders knew that the, uh, you know, given lifetime appointments to federal judges had problems, but they were hoping it would prevent them from having any, political pressure on them. But the fact of the matter is that it's allowed these judges to to uh, be activists and create law versus just uh, interpret law. Okay. With that is said, um, how, how do you, how do you think uh, you were talking about uh, certain appointments that will be made by presidents? And I know that gets a lot of, you know, attention in the media, uh, whether it's conservative talking head or a liberal talking head, whatever the case may be. 
But we've seen even with uh, the appointments that uh, Donald Trump has had. I mean, he had one guy that he appointed as judge who said, no, 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 you can't kick the guy Acosta out of the press room. He has a right to be there. Well, if he has a right to be there, I want my press pass for the White House press office, right? I mean, because I have that same right. But that's not a right. That is a privilege to come into the press office. He can report all day long on whatever he wants to. But the president has no obligation to speak to him directly. He has no uh, you know, special right to ask the president directly face-to-face certain questions. And yet that was one of uh, Donald Trump's appointments. We've had Brett Kavanaugh. Everybody made a big deal out of the, 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 the uh, pro-lie thing. And immediately when he was given the issue, with, he, he passed on that. He showed what he was. We've had Neil Gorsuch in there. Um, and all of this. And look, people need to understand, I defended... Uh, Brett Kavanaugh against the attacks of sexual, um, you know, assault and the, this kind of things because I thought, well, the Bible says this stuff is supposed to happen at that time. We're talking decades later that this is coming forward. This is clearly a hit on the man, whether he did it or not. It's clearly a hit on him. I don't, I, I personally don't believe he did, but I, I'm no, I wasn't there. But I can see what was going on. There was a hit on him, and then it formulates into this propaganda that says if we don't vote for this guy, then we're allowing Democrats to just do whatever they want to. Well, but the appointment and the confirmation is supposed to be because the guy's qualified, because he's constitutional, because he upholds the law, right? I mean, this is the thing that gets me: is Americans get their Instead of looking at what the law is, they get pulled over here to whatever the left or the right propaganda is, and then they fall in line with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a political court system. I've had a lot of experience with it. And, uh, you know, if you're a conservative and you're going to go to a courtroom, you don't want an Obama appointee. You, you, you want to sit around, you want to. Ford or Clinton or Ford or a Reagan appointee. But, you know, it's, it's really sad because one case I had, uh, I had uh, provided major financial support for a, uh, a West Virginia guy to a Republican to become a West Virginia U.S. Supreme Court judge. After he became a, a West Virginia a Supreme Court judge, a case that the company I was managing became came before him and he did not recuse himself. So the, uh, the the plaintiffs took the case to the Supreme Court, and even though the state of West Virginia gives a uh, West Virginia Supreme Court judge full authority to decide whether he should or shouldn't recuse himself, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court forced him to recuse himself. So they violated the very rule that they have and the very rule that every federal appeals court has by not leaving uh, West Virginia with the right and their judges with the right to recuse or not recuse themselves. So had he been elected or been supported by the establishment, uh, talking about the West Virginia State Supreme Court, had he been, had he been elected uh, because of the efforts and financial support of the establishment, he would have been allowed to stay on the case. But since I was a non-establishment guy, he was not allowed to be on the case. So you see all kinds of uh, violations of the fundamental separation of duties between the states and the government, as well as between the branches of the government. Yeah, I, I, boy, I, I don't want to get on. I'm going to bring this in, and then I want to come back to going to the Fifth Amendment. So if I forget, just remind me, okay? Um, one of the, Here's the thing. Our Constitution gives judicial power to these federal courts 
to hear and decide cases, right? Article 2, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution, it lists the cases which federal courts are permitted to hear, and they may only hear these kinds of cases. One, those arising under the Constitution or the laws of the United States or treaties made under the authority of the United States. Second, affecting ambassadors or public ministers or councils, cases of admiralty or maritime jurisdiction or cases in which the U.S. is a party between two or more states, between a state and a citizen or another state, between citizens of different states, between citizens of the same state claiming lands or grants of different states or between a state or citizens thereof of foreign states, citizens or subjects. These are the only cases which federal courts have constitutional authority to adhere or to hear, and yet we find them listening in on everything under the sun, which just kind of it, it's a it's a thumbing a nose at the the Constitution. So here's the question I have: the federal courts. Okay, let's take a Roe v. Wade, for instance. Everybody knows that one. I could take the issue regarding the uh, taxation which they used to, quote-unquote, legitimize sodomite marriage, okay, where they, where they f- focused on these women who came from Canada and they were taxing them, which I think was unconstitutional, in, in an unconstitutional manner, excuse me. And, um, and, and then they, they pushed that through. But let's take the issue of Roe v. Wade. You're president of the United States. Are you one of those guys who are going to come along and say, well, this is settled law, like Kavanaugh and Trump say, or will you say, well, wait a minute, this was a case, one, I don't even know that it should have been heard by a federal court. I'm just going to tell you, according to the Constitution, I don't even know that it should have been heard by a federal court. But the second is, this is a case in which there's a ruling, and that applies in that case and that case alone. It doesn't apply to anybody else. It certainly isn't law. Or, or would you be somebody who says something else, something different than that? Well, it's another one of those where the court, obviously the federal courts uh, don't have any right to be involved. Uh, and I, But I don't think that the Roe versus Wade has anything to do with what the state laws can be and should be. In fact, uh, Missouri probably is leading the way right now in passing laws that uh, basically make it very difficult to get an abortion. And, Amen. And, uh, saving a lot of lives. Yeah. So uh, it's it's one it's one of those many situations where the federal government is just totally out of bounds, and uh, it's just it's impossible sometimes to get them back in. And I would be of the opinion that Roe versus Wade is just a case that they decided it has no bearing on uh, other abortion laws. Amen. No, I appreciate you saying that. And uh, and and again, let's put it on back on us as the church that you know if we have women out there who can't provide for these these kids that they're having, whether it's through no fault of their own, through a rape or whatever the case may be, or it's just promiscuity, whatever the case is, the church has to step up and take care of those kids. We've got to we got to start adopting those kids. We got to start taking care of these women, uh, not just giving lip service to it, but as James says, you know, he says you can't say be warmed and filled, brother, and go on your way, and I'll pray for you. He says you got to start showing, you got to start demonstrating your faith by your works. The church has got to step up, and the church has not stepped up, and that is where the beast has come in, the tyrannical government. It has come in, and it says we'll fill that vacuum for it. We'll be your daddy. Just make sure your daddy's out of the house, and we'll take care of you and your kids, and you can keep on pumping out those kids, and we'll give you twelve, fifteen hundred dollars a month for those kids, or whatever the case may be. And so women are seduced by that, 
Um, so I'm glad to hear you say what you say on there. Let me jump back to the Fifth Amendment. Now, the Fifth Amendment talks about, you know, obviously uh, criminal issues, and it talks about indictments before somebody's stuff, their property, can be taken. Now, we've seen both President Trump and Attorney General William Barr all in favor of asset forfeiture, just like the predecessors. Of the usur- I don't even call him a president. He's a usurper as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Barack Hussein Obama, Satoru Sabarka, and uh, his previous attorney generals, Eric Holder and then uh, Loretta Lynch. All of these guys, the Democrat and Republican, are for asset forfeiture. And yet, the Fifth Amendment says you can't take people's stuff without an indictment. Um, what say you, Don? Well, I have a lot of personal experience with that. But, you know, the uh, the bad part is the legal profession says that they can indict a ham sandwich, so they can indict anybody. So there's not much protection in uh, how indictments actually are handed down because you have no representation in front of the grand jury when you're being indicted. Uh, and after they indict you, uh, they can make your terms of release or bail include taking your guns, gagging you, whatever. In my case, they issued a gag order. They confined me to a small county or two in southern West Virginia. Uh, they they come in and search my property. They search my house. They search my cars. And, I, and keep in mind, I was charged with a false uh, SEC filing. There weren't any in my car. There weren't any in the garage. There weren't any in my closets or in my basement. Uh, it was just insanity the way they actually, I think I was searched 44 times in uh, one year and I was basically had my freedoms taken away for three and a, three years uh, before I even got sent to prison. So it's a, it's a phenomenal process uh, and it's just totally wrong. The other thing they do. Yeah. The other thing they do is they, uh, this phone quit ringing here in a minute. Yeah, you got somebody trying to call you and get in touch with you, man. Yeah. I never used a landline, so I didn't think about it. But the, uh, you know, what they, what they do at trial, uh, those of you that haven't had the experience of being tried in a uh, federal uh, courtroom, is they, they will put the heart of their case on and redirect. And this, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with it, I apologize for it being a little tricky. But what happens in the American system, which, by the way, is not a system that's as fair to the accused as some other countries have, the government gets to go first and last. So they put on a case. Uh, you put on a case, and then they put on another case. But also, during the interrogation of witnesses, they can ask a witness question. They call that direct examination. Then you get to cross-examine, and then they get to do a redirect examination. So what they do is they put their case on in redirect, and then they deny you recross. So what they'll, in my case, for example, their lead witness they put on 61 exhibits during redirect, and then the federal judge to refused to let us recross the witness about those same exhibits. So, you know, I don't mean to bury you in Fifth Amendment detail, but uh, the other thing they do, if you get a traffic ticket and you go down to uh, pay the ticket and or you contest the ticket, the police officer has to go down there to testify that he filled out the ticket and he observed or saw on his radar what he saw. Otherwise, you get out of the ticket. In my case, the government wrote a bunch of uh, mine safety violations, put those uh, into evidence, but did not have a single inspector that wrote any one of those uh, violations come to the courtroom to attest to the fact that he witnessed those violations. So they... 
they do whatever they have to do to convict you once they accuse you. The idea that uh, you're innocent till proven guilty is just not the case. Yeah, no, and, and this goes against biblical law too, which according to the law that uh, or the resolution that Ronald Reagan signed in 1983 that came out of the Congress there, which was our our republic, the laws are supposed to be based upon the Bible. And the Bible is very clear. Two or three witnesses shall confirm the matter. That's Old and New Testament people. For those of you who are dispensationalists who say, oh, God's law doesn't matter anymore, you know, and you want to do it, you're part of the problem. You're not establishing what the Creator had established in the first place. And so, Don, I'm not surprised to see that. We had this with uh, Pete Santilli. He was talking about this coming out of the federal courts. Did you have any Brady violations in your situation? Let me tell you how remarkable it is. I was convicted of a misdemeanor, and we demanded that the uh, Office of Professional Responsibility Division of the Department of Justice investigate it. They wrote a 90-some page report and wrote uh, that they were they violated uh, the principle of Brady and exculpatory information a hundred times. But the punchline here is that I was prosecuted by the son of one of the five federal judges in the same courthouse. The reason I was being prosecuted by the son of one of the five federal judges was because he wanted to run for governor, and he thought convicting a guy associated with the mine explosion would win him a governorship. Well, the assistant prosecutor in this case, according to testimony that he gave to the Office of Professional Responsibility, withheld the Brady information because the father of the prosecutor told him that they should because my attorneys were too aggressive. So you had a federal judge supposedly telling his son, the prosecutor, to violate uh, what most people would have considered Brady Brady matters and the assistant prosecutor testifying to that. And then you had another magistrate federal judge based on that recommend that the case be voided. And the trial judge, who is uh, friends and in the same party as the uh, as the father of the prosecutor, uh, not only refused to, re- to void the case, she refused to let me appeal it. So it's, a, it's, an, it's an amazing, it's, it's worse corruption than you would expect in a banana republic and a kangaroo court. No, it, I, I saw it firsthand when I was covering the issue out of the Bundy Ranch and also in Oregon. And we brought Pete in and he was telling us the things that were going on there. It's the same kind of issue. Uh, let me ask you this, uh, because I want to move through some of the amendments. Did and, you see, by the way, that Clive Bundy's case was finally... Uh, Pointed after you know he'd been in prison for four years, but just in the last week, uh, I think it's the Ninth Circuit came out with an opinion about. It. Okay, no, I didn't see that, but I do know that they released Todd Engel this week, uh, which was a good a good thing. Uh, we know that they acquitted uh, the Bundys and several other people up in Oregon, and we also know that even though Pete um, got hit, all his charges dismissed in Oregon. What they were doing, they were violating, they, were, they had Brady violations all over the place down there in Nevada. And here's the thing, Don. None of these attorneys, none of the people involved are ever charged for their crimes against the people while trying to put them in jail. You know, the Bible talk, talks about, hey, if you're bearing a false witness, that's what the Ninth Commandment's about. It's not about whether you deceive somebody. We see that in Rahab, that she deceived the people of her of her country to hide God's spies because she believed there were God's people. And she said, you know, she became the great, 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 grandmother, if you will, in the line of Christ, even though Christ didn't have that line, so to speak, um, 
because he was uh, put into the womb of the Virgin Mary, he's God in the flesh. The fact of the matter is, they were violating the law, and none of them have been brought to justice. The guy who was leading that out in Nevada, all he was doing was quietly demoted, but he kept a job. He wasn't charged with a crime. And this is what goes on. And people wonder, why does the federal government get 95% conviction rate? Because they have all these sources. They have unlimited power over anybody they want to go after. We've seen this not only with these guys in, at Bunny Ranch or in Oregon, uh, but we've also seen it with somebody like Schaefer Cox, where the FBI wanted to murder him, his his family, his, his wife and his son. And, um, and for God's providence, that was stopped from some guy just popping in there. So, Don, here's the thing. Let me let me get to this, and maybe we'll, we'll end, because I could probably ask you a ton uh, of questions. Because you get, you Go get ahead. Time Go ahead. Uh, American political prisoner. It's, uh, you know, I wrote in there some of these atrocities that the Department of Justice, uh, you know, does. It's, it's just incredible. Not only do they do it, but even when they're caught red-handed having done it, and it's documented by different branches of government, nothing happens to these people. Because, but the prosecutors definitely should be prosecuted. No, I completely agree with you. I completely agree. And there's more than just this. If it's doing, if they're doing it in one case, they're doing it in others. And nobody, uh, I mean, this this just doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. Now, I could sit here and ask you about several things, and um, you seem willing to take those questions. But my time is short, and I know yours is too. Um, one of the things I want to ask you is, when we get to issues regarding the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, these things talk about stuff that is, we, we haven't outlined that the federal government has authority to do it. So when we get to certain issues that come up that really should be a state's issue to where the states determine how they're going to handle this or even more to that, let's go to the jurisdiction of the family. We can do this with education for sure. How is it that the people are not standing up against, I mean, maybe I don't have my thought right. Let me see if I can ask it this way. I believe Abraham Lincoln was one of the greatest tyrants that ever existed in the United States history. I believe that he usurped the Constitution to invade his own country, even after the people had peacefully succeeded, whether you, whatever you believe about slavery, that wasn't what, is, what it was about at all. And Abraham Lincoln said it wasn't about that. But you have that kind of thing go on. And then you have all of this imposition after the War of Northern Aggression in which states like mine, South Carolina, has said, oh, well, you have, to, uh, you have to have education as part of this, that, and the other. Now, there's the great... Uh, R.L. Dabney, Presbyterian pastor at the time of Stonewall Jackson, he wrote Stonewall Jackson's uh, biography, and he said, here's what's going to come if the North imposes a mandatory public education on the public. And there's a small little book, it's about 75 pages, I think, um, I think Howard Phillips' son, the, the, the founder of um, the Constitution Party, Doug, published this as a book you can get it on Amazon called On Secular Education. And it was our old Dabney pointing to the fact that if they push this on us, here's what's going to be the outcome. And this guy, he wasn't a prophet or son of a prophet, but he could see what the ramifications of it would be. And we're seeing it today according to what he said. Now, when we get to not just education, but other things, where the it's like the people look to the federal government to solve every and any problem they have, how would Don, 
Don, let me, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth because you're going to, you would be your own president. But if I were a president, I would think I would need to take at least once a week, maybe twice a week, or every night for that matter, and come on and read the Constitution, read the Founding Fathers, read the Bible, and say, this is what is meant by this. And say, this is what I'm going to enforce. How would a Blankenship administration address things when people are saying, hey, Don, like this past this past week, uh, I think Trump was asked about, quote unquote, racism within local police ranks. Where does the federal government has any say over local police? I mean, how would a Blankenship uh, administration address any of this kind of stuff? And I think, you know, overall, you, the first question you asked there was why the people don't do more. But you answered that question in the segment before when you said that they'll put you in jail with, without a fair trial. Uh, you know, I, that's what they did to me. I've been so outspoken about things like you're, <clears throat> what you're talking about that I became a public figure and I drew a largest crowd ever in the history of West Virginia, 100,000 people to the top of a mountain to hear me talk in uh, late 2009. And so uh, in 2010, they blew my coal mine up and later on to put me in jail without a fair trial. So it's uh, it's something that you have to really be dedicated and passionate about if you're going to go out and take them on. I think that when you have a situation like if you were a real popular president and you had a lot of uh, governors in these states that supported you, a lot of what you're talking about should be fixed by the way it was meant to be fixed. Constitutional amendments that strengthen these rules. It should say that if you are falsely convicted, that there will be ramifications uh, uh, for the prosecutors. It should uh, say that if a, if an additional exhibit is put on during a uh, redirect examination, that there are automatic recross. So there's a lot of details that should be in there. But there's also a lot of details about what uh, should be done by the federal government versus what should be done by the state. It's a very risky proposition because you go down that road, uh, you're going to have a battle on your hands. But I do think that the president should advocate for, uh, in, you know, both enforcement of the Constitution and enhancement of the Constitution in areas where it's being violated. And uh, I think it, that most people would be surprised. things that are being done by the government uh, that uh, the people would uh, vote two-thirds to get rid of them. And uh, so I would make every attempt to be a, the president who most advocated that uh, that we had to separate the responsibilities of the states and the federal government. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think if we just started doing that, we would have – we would be more effective. Uh, all politics are local. Of course, Sons of Liberty Media covers local and national and stuff like that. But all, all, all politics are really local because no matter what the federal government does, you know, our founders, especially Thomas Jefferson, he talks about nullification. He talks about interposition by the states to say, no, 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 wait a minute. We didn't give you authority to do that. Uh, they could end all of these gun restriction regulations. And I've often said, you know, if um, with regard to guns, for instance, and this whole background checks and waiting periods and all this, I, you know, for me, Don, I say, look. If we were dealing with criminals, the way the Bible says to deal with with certain criminals, uh, kidnappers, first-degree murderers, uh, rapists, all this kind of stuff, we wouldn't have to be worrying about uh, background checks, and we wouldn't have to be worrying about infringing on your and my rights because those people would be six feet under the ground because we would be applying real justice to them, not this fake justice of a uh, of a uh, profiting 
prison system in the land of the free home of the brave. We house more prisoners than any other nation on the planet. And yet, the Bible doesn't even lay out a prison system. Neither does the Constitution. It's not justice. And then what they want to do is once they put these people in in prison, for whatever the crime is, let's say they commit a crime against you or me, instead of in the case of like stealing, which should be a civil matter, and it should be between you and the person who stole to you where they restore to you, when you get these capital crimes, they put them in prison and then they make you the victim or the victim's family or even people who aren't even part of the victim's family, uh, namely American people if they throw them in a federal prison, they make them pay to feed, clothe, and house them for however long they're going to put them in that little cage. I mean, it is it is the most unjust, corrupt system that has come out of what before our founders, the pilgrims came and they landed and they said, we're here for the glory of God, for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's like, boy, we just left that in the dust and said, no, nope, we'll have it our way. We'll do whatever we want and call it American. And it's uh, it's an affront to God. I think it's an affront to man. Um, Don, we're going to close out here and let you get doing what you're going to do because I've got to get stuff done here as well. Tell people where they can find out more about you and about the party that you're running under and uh, and why they should vote for you. Well, as I noted earlier, they can go to donblankenship.com or Blankenship 2020 or Constitution Party. And let me show you uh, if I can reach it right here. You can learn a lot about me and a lot about the, uh, the strike and a lot about, uh, you know, my childhood and so forth from this book. And you'll learn a lot about what we've been discussing on this program. Okay, hold it, hold it up a little bit because it's down below the screen there. Hold, yep, Obama's deadliest cover-up. Okay, all right. It's a book I released just a few months ago. I think that those of you watching this program would find it very interesting, but I hope to write one about the prosecution and so forth. But it's just it's incredible how lost the country is, and that's the reason I'm running for president is because you know, the, what we're doing now, we're going to become the former United States of America, rather just like the former Soviet Union, uh, because there's too much divisiveness. Uh, the government doesn't understand that they can't give people privileges without taking the rights of other people because we're supposed to all be equal. They don't understand that uh, you have to have the rule of law. You can't, you can't continually violate uh, the process between the branches of government or between the state and the federal government. All these things we've talked about on this program are fundamentally necessary if you're going to have a prosperous country and that's the reason that uh, we don't have that now yeah well at the sons of liberty we believe that it's not about a party or you know the persuasion that you're under it's about the law what does the law say and how is it being upheld and unfortunately don it's just not being upheld you're you're a guy that you're saying there's a hundred brady violations in just your case alone and the stuff that I was talking about, there were multiple Brady violations. Uh, and because of the alternative media covering that, it was able to, to render the fact that the judge was pushed into a corner uh, to actually throw out the case because of the Brady violations. Nobody was prosecuted over it, but it was at least thrown out. And uh, I think that that gives you a certain perspective that it doesn't that you know people like me haven't had yet. Uh, even though we may have the same mindset, I haven't experienced it like you have. So people, if you want to check out uh, Don and you want to support him, you say, well, Tim, he can't win against these guys. He's unelectable. Well, here's the, here's the thing that I pose to anybody who says something stupid like that. 
if you will quit voting your fear against the quote-unquote other party, and if you will put your support behind men who actually believe like you do, you'll see a difference. But until then, as, as long as you're going to vote your fear, as long as you're going to vote you know, whatever party you're in, rather than uphold the law, you're going to get the same stuff. I mean, you're going to get the same stuff because you're not willing to adhere to law. And I think that's the issue that we've come to here today, Don. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I think this is the issue that we've, you and I have come to here today, and that is we have to uphold the law. Our, un, our unity is around the law, is it not? That's exactly right. And uh, what I say to people as far as the third-party voting is that uh, Americans have elected a Republican or a Democrat now every election for 170 years. So don't waste your vote on a Republican or a Democrat this year. Oh, I love that because I'm always told, you're wasting your vote. You're voting for the other guy. No, our vote is between us and God. God's the only one who sees us when we go in the voting booth. And the fact of the matter is we could get off on a whole tangent of what you might think about electronic voting and the ability to steal elections and manipulate. We could go off on that too. But I think you've given people enough to where they can go check you out. They can determine, hey, I want to get behind this guy. I can write him in or I can you know, promote the Constitution Party in my state or whatever the case may be. And Don, I really appreciate you taking time for us today, even going over the radio show allotment here and uh, I wish you well in your endeavor uh, for the White House, man. Thank you very much. I just ask everybody to remember that if you're liked by the left or the right or the media, you're probably doing the wrong thing. That's the reason I'm so disliked. Amen. Amen. I Well, some people would say that about Trump, too, and yet we've seen... Well, we've seen some things there, too. But I get, I get what you're saying. All right, guys. Um, 8 a.m., Kate Shimarani, our health and wellness program on the Sons of Liberty, will be with you on Saturday morning. Join us then. Until then, see ya.